Hey, on today's episode, Depressing Judaism, we're discussing how to navigate the fundamental quest for self-analysis while avoiding looming pitfalls of depression and the importance of swapping out a cold and dry Judaism for one that's overflowing with joy and pleasure. I'm Mosh Sharman, and this is the Chavruza Podcast, an exploration of timeless wisdom and ideas that have guided some of history's greatest men and women for over 3,000 years. Michael Rosen, the author of The Quest for Authenticity, in the chapter The Psychology of the Soul, Tairas Adam, argues that one of the major contributions made by Peshiska to the world of Jewry is the prominent position given to the psychology of the soul. There was a supreme emphasis on introspection, self-analysis, the exposition of ulterior motives, getting them out of the way, and not at all as a self-indulgent process. It wasn't a selfish thing, but it was a recognition of a necessary requirement for a person to understand themselves, to really take the lid off and disclose just what really is going on inside. Because if you're not prepared to do this, then the person's spirituality and religiosity might very well be motivated by an unidentified self-centeredness it might be coming from ego, from what others are thinking, etc. And if that's the case, if it's a self-centeredness, then you're serving yourself. And that is the most obvious form of idol worship. We think of idolatry as bowing down to some idol, but serving oneself is a greater form of idolatry in Peshizka. And that's the very opposite of serving Hashem. So the entire atmosphere in Peshischa was one that mocked and ribbed and prodded away at anything that smacked of pretentiousness, anything that smelled of false piety that might have been tinged by self-interest. And it wasn't in a destructive way, but in order to purify, to cleanse a person's personality in, in the most ideal, pure sense. And in no way was it meant to be hurtful or cruel, even though it might have been at times hurting for a person to to realize this and to do this exercise. But it was really an attempt of, of awareness. It's no human nature. And to take away all the the pompous externalities, to really find out what's what's really going on. And that's that's any person that's undertaking a journey, a personal journey, a personal growth, a spiritual journey, has a certain degree of introspection that they're going to hit at some stage to figure out what is motivating you. What are you, who are you? Like, what, what are you doing here? What are your weaknesses? What are your fears? And what was so special about Pashiska was how the focus was so sharply laser on the, the analysis of, of these existential questions. And once you're so clear on that, it takes it just, it's not only a, a answer that you could give, that, oh, I could answer what my shrinks and weaknesses is. It's not only quantitative, but it's qualitative. It's, it transforms a person's entire, entire journey. So Rabunim once said that the, the heart has many limitless antechambers of the heart. The heart has so many different 
delusions that might be leading a person when you're passionate about something, where's that passion coming from? It, c- it could be coming from many different chambers, and that's the the goal of a person in self-discovery is to figure out what is superficial, what's ulterior, what's real. And you have to be able to receive criticism. You have to be prepared to figure out, you know what, maybe this thing that I've been doing my whole life, that I've been patting myself on the back, that I thought I've been so great, maybe it was motivated by ulterior motives. And that's hard. That's hard to honestly be ready to hear that, to receive that critique. So Abunam once said that a person has to be able to listen to his or her own disgrace and be silent and endure everything. You have to be able to endure the greatest critique on your accomplishments, on your character. Not to say that you got to pull them down, but you have to be able to purify them and make sure and improve them. And even when you're keeping doing those same great, awesome, amazing things, but to do it with more purity, with more um, intrinsic motive. There is a heavy emphasis on friends in Peshischa to do this as part of a community of like-minded strivers, growth seekers. Because if you're just by yourself, it's going to be very hard to, to see your subjectivity because we're all biased. So if you're just doing it on your own, yeah, my, my motives are great. It's much easier to see when somebody else, maybe from a different background, a different set of challenges, is able to see things a little more clearly or the way that they're doing things is a window into yourself and you're able to sort of see things from from new perspectives. So community was an important thing for this reason, to really get to the to the to the core of who you are. The Yehudi Akadesh, the Hilig the holy Jew teacher of Rabbanim, once explained a Pasak in the Torah verse, Deuteronomy sixteen, very intriguing. It says, Tzedek Tzedek Tirdaif Laman Tichya. Justice, justice you shall pursue in order that you shall live. Mantechion 1620 in Devarim. So the question is, justice, justice you shall pursue. Just say, pursue justice. Justice you shall pursue. What's the justice, justice? In order that you shall live. So the Yehudi said that this is the essence of life. Why are you living? In order that you shall live is that you should improve yourself. You should correct yourself until your very last breath. That's the foundation of life. And that's why it says justice twice. I mean, even if you've corrected yourself, you've become a tzedek, a tzedek, you've become righteous. Still, you got to go further with more effort, with more righteousness, with more purity, with more holiness. Tzedek, tzedek, teradayv. The primary question of who am I? Who am I? Who are you? That's the question where everything else stems from. What are your characteristics? What are your strengths? What are your challenges? What are your motives? And without those questions, you're just functioning in a fog or uh, under an illusion. So when you come into this world for this purpose, with a role, a unique role that nobody else could do, to correct some aspect of your personality, it's going to now exert a positive influence on the world. That process that continues all the way till your last breath. Then even if you imagine you completed the process, you need even more effort. You need a second tzedek 
second justice, because without that sincerity, without that self-correction, if you're not self-correcting, then you're not being authentic. You're not really being true to yourself. Because you have some sort of layer that you're, you're stopping at one of those many antechambers of the heart. And you're not being truly authentic. It's, it's the negative instance of uh, being true to yourself. It's the person giving in to another urge and lust. Or another hit on the uh, addictive substance that the person is stuck on. That's not being true to yourself. You're getting stuck in a in an external layer, something that makes you feel good now, whatever it is. So, the Yehudi once said that it's three levels, three levels of a person's spirituality. Number one, the highest level, is when you do good things the whole day, and you feel that you haven't yet even started. You're doing incredible things, but you feel like you haven't done nothing. You're just, you're just getting started. That's number one. Second level, somebody who you haven't done anything, but you know that you haven't done anything. You know. You don't do anything all day, but you know that you have. And the lowest level, the worst, worst of the worst is when you think you've done great things. You deceive yourself because then you're, ne- you're never open for growth. You're never open for change. And that's intolerable. That's intolerable. Smug self-righteousness of religiosity. Feeling smug and I'm, I'm great. Because when you have that smugness, then you can't introspect. You're not going to grow. And that's critical. Because that sham of, oh, I'm great, is the worst quality. Because that's going to bring you to, in the words of the Yehudi, Avadon. It will bring you to, to desolation, to hell, to... You're stuck. There's no to the depths. So, again, the self-analysis, which stems from humility and the ability to to analyze and to grow. Because without humility and self-analysis, you end up being static. You're stuck. We need constant renewal. Constant renewal. And that demand of renewal flows from introspection, which can only take place in the context of humility. here's the challenge with all this. This is all wonderful stuff, but it could lead to depression. And Rabbi Rabbanon was very aware of this. Even the Yehudi said, his teacher, the Yehudi said, depression is the cause of anything bad. Anything bad that a person does, it's rooted in depression. Because what happens is when you have such penetrating analysis, that could lead to despair. Because, oh, every single thing that I'm doing, I could find maybe some sort of flaw in my motive. Maybe some external factor that's affecting it. And therefore we come to a very central idea in Peshiska. In that revealing yourself, finding yourself, finding that true authenticity is only the beginning of the process. That's not the goal. The goal isn't to figure out, to take a personality test, Myers-Briggs, and you figure out who you are, self-authorship. It's the first step. Because the, the danger of depression... When you move from analysis to despair to depression, the next step has got to be joy. right? Analysis, realization, and then joy. Don't get stuck in that realization, because if you stop at realization, then you're going to hit despair and joy, because, oh, look at me. No, but it's, it's the joy. Depression leads to inactivity. Joy leads to movement. 
you could have something that's broken. And there's two ways to look at it. One is it's broken. So now I could go fix it. And the other one is that it's broken and you resign that, oh, this is hopeless. This is it's broken. That's it. Capital B. It's done. All right. The first one is a positive thing. You're reflective and you realize maybe there's a missed opportunity here. Maybe something needs a tinkering, but then you go ahead and fix it. As opposed to the latter type, the one that leads to despair is when you have this controlled bitterness and it's just apathetic and you become unable to act. You become stuck as opposed to the joy is when you take the action of it. This leads to one of the more memorable quotes by Rabbanim that a broken heart could be the most complete thing in the world. Broken heart. Based in the Pasuk and Tehillim, King David says, Hashem heals the brokenhearted. And Rabbanim says that a broken heart is a good thing because that allows healing. Healing is when it's broken, but the first type of broken that, okay, and now there's something to do about it. You're able to clear it out from the depression. You don't get stuck in the broken. You don't stop there. So you need a broken heart, but you need it also to be complete at the same time. You need them together, brokenness and completeness at the same time. That maybe the brokenness itself is the completion. When we say Hashem heals the broken heart, it doesn't mean He makes it full again. But he makes it manageable that you could act on it. That now I have this broken heart and you have this pain and you have this sorrow, which of course nobody should have. But if you do, when inevitably some sort of life hits, to be able to say, yes, it's broken. And to accept it and admit it and and to feel it. But then say, I'm not going to get stuck here. I'm not just going to submit to this hopelessness of the brokenness of the despair in the situation you can see what's going on in the world and there's fear anti-semitic attacks on the rise and you can become broken about it and get stuck in it and submit to these feelings of of hopelessness and feeling entrapped or it could be a brokenness and say okay this is what it is Accepting it for what it is. This is the new reality. No matter how crazy that it is like this. And you can get stuck in all the reasons why and where and how. But the main thing is to make sure that's the type of brokenness of the first kind. Brokenness that now, okay, what do I do with this? What action am I taking? Instead of submitting to the hopelessness and getting trapped in that. And the way forth in Pasheska, the Yehudi and Rabbi Rabbanim believed that the way forth was going to be with, with joy. Kiva Simcha Seitzeu, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says, Kiva Simcha Seitzeu, if you're stuck in exile, the way to get out is Besimcha. Besimcha Seitzeu, you'll, you'll leave your personal exiles when you're in joy, when you're stuck in that depression. And this is something that the Yehudi. Andrew of Nachman talk about extensively their their battles with depression and their their struggles with it growing up and throughout their formative years and that need that crucial need to go in with with joy and happiness and not necessarily dancing all day right but a joy that comes from simcha from sameach that grows that when you take that 
card had the, the what's it called the hand the hand of cards that you're dealt, and be able to take that and use it for some sort of experience, experiential growth, and, and that joy of doing so, of being alive and being able to say, I have this broken heart, but I'm going to encounter it with joy. And that's going to be the most complete thing in the world. It's going to remain broken, but it's going to be with joy. That's the refuah. Hashem heals the broken heart by giving you the aspect of, of being able to move forward. Not to move on, but to move forward. And eliminate that getting stuck, that phase of self-analysis to hopelessness, but self-analysis to opportunity. Self-analysis to opportunity. Opportunity over helplessness. The other danger of introspection, over-introspection, I should say, is that you can end up wallowing in yourself. So the first one could lead to just a stark uh, feeling of brokenness. The second one is wallowing in the self. Dr. Rosen says there, there could be that there's nothing more egocentric and the person who spends her time trying to nullify her ego. If the whole time you're spending, the guy's trying to nullify his ego. So the whole point is he's all busy with his ego the whole time. So introspection has to be a framework for change, but it's in the context of something greater than just yourself. It has to be that you're doing this in the context of Avaita Hashem, that you're trying to become a better Jew, you're trying to become a better person. Beyond you, not just me, me, what are my motives, what are my motives, but I'm trying to follow an objective code of morality, an objective source of holiness. To know, to know, to feel, to believe that the whole time Hashem is right there with you, in the muck, in the mud, wherever, whatever a person is, is dealing with, to know that Hashem's right there. And all this self-analysis, all this purity of motive, all this purification and this struggle and this endeavor for growth and opportunity is with Hashem standing there right next to you, whether or not you know it, whether or not you believe it, whether or not you feel it. It might just be one of those things that you feel it, but you're not sure. You know it, but you don't feel it. Hashem's right there. And then it's no longer this egotistical drive. But it's trying to do the right thing. Trying to connect. You know, Bodham writes about this and or talks about this. It's quoted in Siach Sarfei Kodesh, a collection of his teachings. That the Yitzhahara, the evil inclination, tries to pull us away from goodness, is going to try to convince a person, Hashem's no longer with you. You know, you've been so much in the muck, so much in the dirt, that Hashem's rejected, moved on. You're too far gone. But a person can feel that way. Says Rabbanan, that's the the main overarching aim in the person's self-reflection analysis is that Hashem's essential eternal compassion is right there with you. And you have to believe in yourself, you have to believe in Hashem, you have to believe that where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. Hashem's right there with you. And this this feeling of disconnect and this feeling of brokenness is only a shield. It's a hester. It's a concealment. And the challenge is in itself a concealment to break through, and not to not to 
be persuaded by the Yetzirah, that feeling of disconnect. And not to get stuck in that phase of brokenness with the capital B. And this really leads to a deeper understanding in the major emphasis and focus in Peshesk on joy, on happiness, on balance. But his whole essence was this. Quoting the last episode, the ideal of holiness. And you're at a place and there's stuffed turkey and there's Torah and there's wine and there's beds. You can sleep a little, you can eat a little, learn a little. And do it with joy, do it with happiness. It's geschmack, life is good. And Rabbanon is very critical of anyone doing Judaism, doing Jewish things without inner feeling, without thought, just going through the motion. Because that could lead to, to a feeling of, of coldness. And it has to be that you're not doing it out of an affliction of your soul and asceticism. No, you got to delight in the pleasures of the world. Delight in the truest pleasures. Obviously not fleeting ones that you're not going to remember tomorrow, but the pleasures that we have of, of, of the emotional pleasures and the spiritual pleasures of love, of relationships, of community, of character. It was very, it was, it was known in Peshesla that the Hasidim, the followers of Peshesla would go out and listen to the tunes when the soldiers would march by. They would have tunes, they would have marches, they would have nearby performances. And it was very common to see Peshesla followers listening to the music. They didn't walk in the streets tattered. Following the lead of Rabbanim, they would wear dignified clothes, sharp, good-looking clothes. They would comb their hair. Their appearance was one of very dignity. No torn shoes. Not, it was a way of life. way of life that wasn't... A lot of times today, I think, you people, especially if, if they're not intimate with... With certain practices, a person could think of Shabbos, for example. And if you never experienced it in a deep and meaningful way, or even if you have, you could think about it, and it's very restrictive and dry, and you can't do this, you can't do that, it's a bunch of can'ts. Especially the way it's taught in elementary schools. Even in very observant communities. You're memorizing the list of the 39 categories. You can't do this. You can't do this. Don't do that. Muksa. It's muksa. It could, it could come off as, as something that isn't full of joy. If the goal is joy, the goal is joy. If the goal is happiness. The goal is living life with the sense of, of calm and, and joy and simcha. So then, if you get stuck at the externals of the do's and the don'ts, and you're just going through it, but you don't feel the heart, it could be heavy. It could be heavy, and religion could, could become synonymous with restriction. 
and it could be the opposite of what it's really intended to do, at least in, in the Jewish sense. What Hashem wants from us is that we should be freed by Torah. You've got to be free. So Rabbanim says, for example, or Chaim Velazhner, the head of the Velazhner Yeshiva, says the same thing. Mishnah Perkeavos that says, the way of the Torah is Mishnah Perkeavos. Eat bread with salt. Sleep on the floor. Rabbi points out the first few. You should eat Paspemelech is in the future tense. Toichal. In the Hebrew grammar, it's future tense. And then, Batayra Ata Amal is present tense. But learn Torah now. What's going on? Future, and then it switches to present tense. So he says, the mission is not telling you that you know, if you want to live a life of Torah, you have to eat stale bread and sleep on the floor. No, it's saying that if in the future it comes to it, crazy circumstances, that all you have to eat is stale bread and you don't have a mattress, that shouldn't take you away from engaging in Torah. shouldn't take you away from Judaism. But it's not saying that that's the ideal. I remember when I was in Pasaic Yeshiva and the air conditioner broke. It was in the summer. I was off for a couple of days. I was sweltering hot and people were <laughs> getting a little affected by it. And they were talking to Ramir Stern. We were talking to Shiva, talking about the air conditioner and how it's a struggle you know, to maintain concentration. What should we do? And somebody there, smart Alec, you always got to have one of these guys, says, no, Rashiva, it's ideal. It's ideal like this because now we could we could even uh, learn while we're sweating buckets. We could learn 120 stuffy degrees. This is the real way to learn. This is the sleeping on the floor and eating stale bread. And Rashiva looked at him and was like, no, no, it's not ideal. Not ideal. Ideal is we should have the air conditioner working. You're right, though. If it's not working, then we do our best. But we're doing all we can to fix the air conditioner, and <laughs> that's what got fixed. So you, you don't have to go out of your way to find yourself the worst thing. Or you want it to be joyous. You want it to be schmuck. It has to be alive. It has to be vibrant. That's shishka. That's the tiras hanafash. That's the psychology here of of the person to have that sense. That balance, not to fall into the brokenness, not to fall into the things that are are flawed, but to use it as opportunity for joy, happiness. And and it's the litmus test. We'll end with this. It's the litmus test that if it feels broken, if it feels heavy, if it feels dry, if it feels restrictive, if it feels harsh, the Judaism, that's the sign you're doing it wrong. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Harusa. If you enjoyed, before you even subscribe and rate it five stars and review and all that, and listen to the other episodes, please reach out to me. Let me know your thoughts, connections, ideas, questions, critiques. My number is 347-893-4467. Harusapodcast at gmail.com or across social media channels. Thank you. Have a wonderful day overflowing with happiness.